Good morning, church. It is an absolute privilege to uh, bring you the word of the Lord this morning. I've been so blessed uh, as we've been going through this sermon series in Second Peter over the last uh, few weeks and months. And today I get to close out chapter one. And uh, so uh, I'm just going to do a bit of a recap of the chapter for you. And then uh, we can get straight into what the last few verses of chapter one say. So remember that Peter is writing to uh, his church, to his disciples. He knows that his end is near. He knows that he is um, going to uh, die soon. Uh, Jesus uh, revealed that to him while, while he was alive. And um, now he wants to remind his church of the most important things that he's taught them. And he reminds them how precious uh, their faith is, that it's a complete gift of God. They didn't do anything to earn it or deserve it. But now they can do something in response to what God has done for them. And they can supplement their faith with determination and knowledge and self-control, endurance, brotherly affection and love. And as they do that, they will grow in assurance of salvation and they will also run their race well. They'll be able to stand against false teaching and they will have a triumphant entry into heaven. And as we get to the end of chapter one, Peter is gearing up to take on false teachers in chapter two. The whole of chapter two is going to deal with that. And so he ends chapter one by presenting a a strong line of evidence as to why he is holding to the truth. And he starts off with, as Joe spoke about last week, his eyewitness testimony. Um, He speaks about what he saw with his own eyes up on the mountain, the transfiguration, Jesus becoming uh, in his spiritual being right in front of their very eyes, the the glowing white um, being that was in front of them, and the audible voice from heaven, God saying, this is my son whom I am well pleased with. And we live in a day and age where eyewitness testimony is increasingly under scrutiny. Um, But it used to be uh, almost a done deal. If someone could point you out and say, yes, I was there, I saw him do it, you you were in big trouble. Today, we've got DNA testing that we're relying on, and there are many wrongful convictions that have happened because eyewitness testimony can be uh, unreliable at times. Yet, even in our modern age... Eyewitness testimony is still responsible for 20%, the determining factor in 20% of criminal cases. How often have you heard someone tell you something juicy, gossip that we shouldn't really be entertaining, but it, it happens, and only later to find out that what they've passed on to you wasn't something that they uh, saw with their own eyes firsthand, but it was something that they heard. And we know that as soon as we become aware that this is just passed on, we hold it far less lightly than when someone can tell us, I was there and, and I saw it. How often has the story got mixed up because it wasn't firsthand? This is what makes eyewitness testimony so powerful. It's not perfect, but it is a powerful element. And Peter is not afraid to remind us that he saw this with his own eyes. Whenever an eyewitness takes the stand uh, in a criminal case, the... Um, the opposing team will try to discredit that witness. So they try and look for character flaws, and they they try and catch them out in a lie. And this is what makes Peter's eyewitness testimony so powerful um, and so convincing, 
is he was prepared to be crucified upside down for what he believed. His testimony is credible because he's prepared to lay down his life for it. And after establishing what he saw with his own eyes and what he heard with his own ears, he moves on to another line of evidence. And that's where we are this morning in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 19 to 21. I'm going to read it with you from the ESV. It should come up on your screen uh, as I read. And we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed, to which you will do well to pay attention, as to a lamp shining in a dark place, until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts, knowing this first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Let's pray. Father, as we read your word this morning, as we come to your word this morning, we're praying, Father, that you would open our eyes to see and our hearts to understand what it is you are saying to us. We're grateful that this has come from your Spirit and your Holy Spirit is with each and every one of us, helping us understand your word. And so this morning, um, as the word gets preached, I pray, Lord, that you would uh, fill me with your Spirit and help me to be clear and speak uh, the truth boldly. And we want to respond to your word this morning, Lord. We want to obey it. We want to grow closer to you. In Jesus' name, amen. So my first point this morning is that uh, in verse 19, what Peter is bringing to us is a stronger line of evidence. Now, what can be stronger than witnessing the transfiguration with your own eyes and hearing God's audible voice from heaven? Well, Peter says that it's the prophetic Word of God, Scripture. Now, the translation is a little tricky, and it does lead to some ambiguity, and I will do my best to explain uh, the different ways to interpret this, and uh, I will explain which one I think fits best with the text. Now, the ESV translates this text as follows. It says, and we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed. So the first way of understanding this text is that the eyewitness account confirms what God had already revealed in the Old Testament uh, scriptures. Several translations favor this interpretation, uh, and so some of you might think, reading your Bible with me this morning, that that's pretty clear, um, and depending on what translation you're reading, and even the ESV translation can be read that way. Um, but when we look at the original Greek, another option emerges. And so on your screen, you've got another option that I've put forward to you there. Young's literal translation, which is a translation of Scripture which tries to stick as close to the original Greek as it can in the English. It changes the word order, and it says this, And we have more firm the prophetic word. We have more Firm the prophetic word. So the word order changes when you look at the original Greek. 
And the Greek word order seems to support the interpretation that Peter is ranking Scripture over experience. It's in no way an attempt to downplay his experience. What he saw was his testimony, and it was eyewitness, and it's powerful, and that's why he leads with it. But there is something even more powerful, and that is God's Word. We see something very similar in the parable, one of my favorite parables, Jesus speaking about the rich man and Lazarus. And you'll remember that both Lazarus and the rich man die. Lazarus goes to heaven and the rich man goes to hell. While suffering in hell, the rich man looks up and sees Lazarus standing next to Abraham. And uh, the rich man is suffering. He's in torment. And he begs Abraham. He says, Abraham, please send Lazarus down. There's a well here. Let him dip his finger in the, the well and a drop of water on my tongue for a moment of relief. That's all I ask. And Abraham uh, tells Lazarus that what he's asking is impossible because the chasm between those in heaven and those in hell are so wide, it, it, you cannot go between those two places. And this very interesting exchange happens at the end in Luke chapter 16. And I'm going to read it to you. Uh, again, it should come up on your screen so you can follow with me. So in Luke chapter 16, verse uh, 27, the rich man says this, And he said, Then I beg you, Father, to send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers, so that he may warn them, lest they also come into this place of torment. But Abraham said, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. And he said, No, Father Abraham. But if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. He said to them, If they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. And it's this very interesting end to this parable where Lazarus, uh, where the rich man is begging Abraham to send Lazarus back as a resurrected person, to warn people of what's coming in hell. And according to Jesus, because this is Jesus telling the story, they already have Moses and the prophets. He's talking about the Old Testament. And he's saying, let them hear what God has revealed to them in his word already. And what we think is, if some really amazing experience happens, so constantly... Jesus was getting tested, and people were saying to him, do this miracle and do this miracle. Even when he was on the cross, they said to him, come down, and we will believe in you. People are constantly setting uh, tests before God to say, if you would just show yourself, we will believe you. If you will just do this, we will believe you. And what Jesus is saying is, you have everything you need revealed to you in God's word. And if this is not enough for you, then even if someone came back from the dead to tell you where they've been to, you still won't believe. And actually, if you think about it, very quickly start doubting ourselves. We would start doubting our sanity. We would wonder if we'd had a bit too much to drink the night before. Are we under a bit too much stress? Uh, there's lots of ways we reason experiences away. So Jesus is telling us the exact same thing Peter is here. 
There is no experience that is more convincing than Scripture itself. If Scripture cannot convince you, then no experience will. You might be saying, if you're an unbeliever listening to this message, it's great that Peter got to stand on a mountain and see Jesus, the heavenly Jesus, with his own eyes. It's great that Peter got to hear the audible voice of God with his own ears. If that would only happen to me, then yes, maybe I would believe. And Peter is saying to you this morning, Peter's response to you is, you have something even firmer than my eyewitness testimony. My eyewitness testimony is strong. You have something stronger. God's word. So, as we move on this morning to the second point, he then goes on to explain in the rest of verse 19 what we need to do with God's Word. So in verse 19, let me go back to uh, my base text. Um, in verse 19 it says, And we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed, but that word order should be swapped around in the original, which changes the emphasis to which you will do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place. Peter's now encouraging us to pay attention to God's word. That's my second point. Like a lamp shining in a dark place. And my question to you this morning, church, is how much attention are you paying to this word? My fear as a teacher is that some of you are reliant on Joe and Matt and Mark or whoever's preaching on the Sunday and you might be feeding off God's work on a weekly basis through the Sunday service. But what's happening the rest of the week? Peter is saying, this thing needs to be something that is always before you. As often as possible. I know that we live in a busy world and every day uh, Bible reading is tough to keep up. But I'm challenging you, if you're just going to God's word through the sermon on a weekly basis, that's not what Peter's talking about over here. He's talking about paying careful attention to this word. We need to do that. It's the most powerful revelation of God that we've got. And we need to be going to it often and regularly. And why? What is the benefit? Well, he says it is like a lamp shining in a dark place. Psalm 119 verse 105 is one of my favorite verses coming up on the screen, I hope, as well. It says, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Church, these are dark times. We are in a global pandemic. Uh, people are losing their loved ones left and right. Economies are struggling we're not meeting together. We're struggling with our uh, emotional, mental health. I'm sure many of you can relate to what Joey said, just feeling like you're having a tough week. I feel like my weeks have gotten a lot tougher in the last 52 weeks than they have ever before. It's dark times. And Peter's saying to you that the Word of God is like a lamp in a dark place. There's much to be pessimistic about at the moment, but when I go to God's Word, He fills my heart with hope. He lights my way. He reminds me that He's in control. He reminds me that He's with me. He reminds me of His promises. And even now, church, even in my job, wondering how do I pastor well throughout a global pandemic, 
I'm going to God's word and I'm expecting God as he has always done. He has always lit my way through his word and shown me the way to go. He will continue to do so. And how long should we do this for? For how long should you uh, be coming to God's Word and paying attention to it? Some of you might be seasoned Bible readers here. Some of you might have uh, read through the Bible from cover to cover uh, more than once. Do we reach a point where we graduate from, where we don't have to, where we know so much, where we have it all? And Peter answers that question in verse, uh, at the end of verse 19. He says, pay attention um, to the Word of God as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. What day is he talking about? Pay attention to the Word of God until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. He's speaking of Christ's return. Joey's sermon last week was focusing on the return of Christ. And he's speaking about the return of Christ and he's saying, until Jesus comes back and you have the Word of God living always with you in the shining city that we will all be in one day, until that happens, this is what we pay attention to. Closely, seeking the Lord, pursuing Him through it. I've been reading this book for 26 years. I have read it cover to cover a couple of times. Um, I've started at a point and I got to, like Forrest Gump, you know, kept running. Got to the end, hit the ocean, kept running, just kept running. With God's word, I always just feel like he keeps saying, keep going, keep going. And I will never get to the end of reading God's word. I hope that I'm going to have the opportunity to continue to go cover to cover through this book for many, many years. Of course, there's reading plans and there's different ways you can do this, but I don't mind how you get through it, but we need to be getting through this whole book over and over and over. You don't stop just from reading at one time. I will never reach the point where I've read it enough. It's been a guide for 26 years. It's lit my way in many dark places before it continues to do so, and it's going to lead me home. Are you paying attention to the Word of God this morning, Christian? Verse 20 is also very interesting. And my third point this morning, and I want to be very clear on this, experience does matter. Peter is not trying to juxtapose, I hope that's the right word, just came into my mind. He's not trying to set uh, experience and scripture against one another and say this one's better than this one, so disregard this one. No, he shares his eyewitness testimony account with you because it's powerful, and he should do that. His experience matters, and many of you have had wonderful experiences with God in your lifetime, and so have I, and I hope we will have many more. They are wonderful uh, to uh, move us forward in our growth. The Word of God is not stronger than a weak thing. This is powerful. This is strong. It's just even stronger. So experience does matter, and I want to make that point very clear. In fact, if you never experience anything in your Bible reading, then what you're doing is just purely academic. And that's not helpful at all. That's not beneficial. And many people actually do have just an academic relationship with the Word. You've got Bible professors who are atheists 
who know this book inside out, who know the original and the Greek and the Hebrew and all the rest, and can have far more knowledge than, than many of us, myself included, yet they have no real relationship with this word. No real experience has ever happened for them coming out of reading it. Experience is crucial. Now, in this verse, in verse 20, you might be going, Mark, where are you getting experience from in verse 20? It says this, Knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. The Greek word for knowing used here is called genosko. might be gnosko, I don't really know. Okay, Joey says gnosko, I'm going to go with him. Um, but the Greek word here for knowing is an experiential knowledge. It's not an academic knowledge. It's knowing by experience, knowing by doing. I'll give you a very silly example. My son's five years old, and we've reached the stage of trying to teach him how to tie his shoelaces. And I am very interested to realize, as someone who regards themselves as being good at explaining and teaching, that I don't know what, very well how to explain how to tie shoelaces. I start off well, fold, and, but something starts happening that I just know how to do. I, don't, I, I watch my hands do it, and I go, what am I doing? I have been tying shoelaces for 35 years, and I don't even know the ins and outs anymore of how it works. I just do it my, by experience, I know. Similar to the national anthem. There's that one line. I don't know how I get through it, but I always do. I, I can't tell you how to actually pronounce that one line, but I've sung that national anthem so many times, I somehow make my way through. And so this is Genosco. It's, it's a knowledge you gain through doing, through living it. And not every Christian has Genosco knowledge when it comes to uh, the Bible. You can only get it by reading this word, having God reveal something to you, and then you act on it. And when you act on it and you obey it, you grow in experience and not, you get to know this is really real. It's really true. And Peter is saying here, you know, the first thing you know, it's the most important thing you know when it comes to God's Word. You know from experience that this doesn't come from man. This doesn't come from man's ideas. How do you know that? Because when you're reading it, the Holy Spirit, who originated the Word, is revealing what it means to you. He is the, the author. And so he explains to you how this works and what it means. And so you know from experience. Yes, man's involved in this process, but I know that God has written this for me. And he's revealing it to me. No prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. You can see some people's eyes light up when they talk about God's Word. You can just see when someone has a real relationship with God's Word and they can talk about it and they've spent time there and they've experienced something there and they know that it's true. No experience. Peter goes on to say that you know from experience, sorry, that no scripture originates from the private reasoning of man, writing or speaking. So that word there uh, 
interpretation is not actually speaking about be careful of privately trying to study or interpret God's word. That's not what is Peter is saying over here. Peter's talking about the origination of Scripture. And if you've got a New King James Version, I want you to look in the margin and you will see that they've got a, a footnote there saying originates. So a lot of versions use the, the verb is, but it actually talks about no word, prophetic word, originates from someone's own interpretation. He's dealing with the fact that Scripture originates from the Holy Spirit. Not, he's not talking so much about our ability to interpret it. This is Peter's version of Paul's God-breathed Scripture. Peter's explaining how we get the Word of God, and he actually goes into it in a little bit more detail than, than Paul does. Peter is not saying that we should not privately try and study or interpret Scripture, but he is saying that no Scripture comes forth from man's own ideas or thoughts, but from God. This view is emphatically confirmed in the next verse, where Peter says that no Scripture, in verse 21, was ever produced by the will of man. But men spoke as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. People that are Bible detractors, that like to um, throw shade on God's Word, they often say things like, but it was written by men. Yes, it was written by men, but it did not originate with men. It originates with God. That's what they fail to understand. And not only does it originate from God, but he is actively involved in the process of writing it down. That's where Peter goes into a bit more detail than Paul does. Peter says it originates from God, but they were also carried along by the Holy Spirit as they were writing. God has overseen this process from start to finish. This book has come to you via a sovereign God. He has made sure you have received all the revelation you need for this life. It is inerrant, it is completely trustworthy, and He has overseen it from start to finish. You can trust in this. That's how Peter concludes his line of evidence. He says, guys, there's a lot of false teaching coming at you, but I've seen this with my own eyes, I've heard it with my own ears, and something even more powerful than that is this is all confirmed in God's Word. Not man's ideas, originates from God and carried through as they were writing by the Holy Spirit. Completely trustworthy. So as I come to a conclusion this morning, I just want to review again. Peter is gearing up to take on false prophets. We're going to talk a lot more about that in the next sessions. He pre presents a line of evidence. This is important because we're going to apply this now. Using his own eyewitness account and ending with the divinely originated word of God. So how can we apply this this morning? My first application point that I want you to think of and consider is that testimony is important. That's why Peter goes there. He's telling you what he's experienced. He's telling you what he's seen. He's telling you what's happened to him. He's setting an example for us this morning, church, and he's setting an example for his disciples, and he wants them to do the same thing. Every single believer 
has had a real life encounter with Christ that they can witness to. I want to give you an example from, from real life from our own church. So um, I'm not going to share this person's name, but someone contacted me a couple weeks ago and they said this to me. They said, Mark, um, the Holy Spirit has prompted me. They've laid someone on my heart, a friend of mine who doesn't know Christ. I have tried to share my faith with them in the past and it hasn't gone well. I'm nervous, but I can't get away when I pray from the thought that God wants me to share my faith again with them. Also, as I've been praying, God's told me, and I don't know why, but he's told me to tell you, and that's why I'm doing it. So when I finished reading that message, I felt a little bit of pressure <laughs> because the question's coming up in my mind, and you guys might, might be cleverer than me. It might be coming more obviously to you, but I'm on like leave on holiday. I'm going, God, why is she telling me? Like, why, why have you directly told her impressed upon her that she must tell me. And so the best I can come up with, which you've probably all landed there already, is I go, right, God wants me to pray with her and encourage her. And so I write back to her and I say, well done. You're on the right track. If God's putting this on your heart, you need to be obedient. I'm praying with you. I want you to go and do this today. Do it immediately. Don't wait. The longer you wait, the less likely you are to do it. And so I'm praying for you right now. Go off and do it and tell me how it goes. And I wait. And a few days pass, and um, I haven't got a response. And it starts to get to that awkward place where I want to connect back with the person, but I'm also starting to feel like maybe this didn't go well, and I don't want to embarrass them. But anyway, eventually I decide, Mark, she, she brought you on board. She asked you to be on this journey. Just check. So I, I double-check about a week later. How did it go? No response. A few days after that, I finally get a response back where she says, Mark, it was Christmas time, so what I did was I bought a nice gift for the person because I love them, but I, and I wrote a letter. And I wrote a letter of what God's done for me, and I shared it with her. And the gift was well-received, but the letter wasn't. In no uncertain terms, this person said to her, we will never revisit this topic of uh, faith again. We're done talking about this. And so obviously she's deeply disappointed because the hope was that God's told me to do this. I'm being obedient. God's told me to tell Pastor Mark, you know, the pastor's prayers uh, are powerful and pastors joined in. And I'm, I've been praying. I'm like, Lord, where's the story going? What a fantastic testimony story it's going to be if I can stand in front of everyone and share. You prompted someone. They shared their faith. A person got saved. Everyone's going to want to share their faith. Come on, Lord. That's got to be the story, the way you want this to go. I was so disappointed to hear this person got rejected and shut down. Come on, God. Our people don't easily share their faith. And we need wins here so that people will be encouraged to share their faith. And while I was lamenting, I really felt the Holy Spirit say strongly to me, the reason why I asked her to share the journey with you was for now. Was right now, there's something I want you to do. See, I thought, I mean, I thought it was about prayer support, and it always is. Like, that was the right thing to do. But suddenly I realized I have been told about this because failure was going to come, 
And this person sitting at home, dejected, and now God puts his words in my mouth to speak to them. And so I said this to them. I said, I want you to know that you have done so well. God is pleased with you. He's just told me to tell you that he is pleased with you. You've heard him. You've listened to him. You've been obedient. And the results are his. Well done. And keep going. Do it again. And do it again. And do it again. Every time God prompts you, go and share your faith. Well done. He's pleased with you. You see, church, salvation is a mysterious thing, and it belongs to God. We can't control it. We can only obey what God tells us to do, and God uses it in His own mysterious and powerful ways. I want to be a part of a church where every single person is sensitive to the Holy Spirit's promptings and is obedient in sharing their faith and witnessing as Peter has done and sharing their testimony with others. What might God do if we lived this way and regularly obeyed these promptings? Because we all get them. If you are a believer and you've been walking with the Lord, God has prompted you on a regular basis to share your faith and you will know it. It doesn't mean we've obeyed it, but we all get those. My challenge to you this morning is to take a leaf out of one of your fellow congregants' books. And if you are thinking, but I don't know how to do this, then I want to say this to you. This is a Gnosko moment. The only way you get better at sharing your faith and learning and knowing and understanding how to do it is by experiencing doing it. This lady just got better at sharing her faith because she obeyed God's prompting. If you think, but I need more training. If you think I need uh, someone to tell me exactly how to do this, trust me, take it from someone who's received all the training. Take it from someone who uh, has uh, all of the academic knowledge. It is not useful at all. We could train you until the cows come home. But until you decide to be obedient to when God prompts you to share your faith with someone and you just do it in absolute weakness. You just tell them what God's done for you. You won't get better at your testimony and your witness and sharing. And I really felt, application point number one, we need to tell people what God's done for us, just like this lady has. I think the story's gone this way. This might be reverse psychology over here, but I almost feel like you're more likely to share your faith listening to failure, that actually it's normal for people to reject it and, and not respond positively. You're more likely to give it a bash than if you only ever hear of the su success stories. And I think God wants me to share this story with us as a church. I would love to have more stories come forth of I was obedient in sharing my faith. Let's leave the results up to God. How that story ends and who gets the glory, it's God's. We just need to be obedient. My second point of application this morning is pay attention to God's word. Don't wait for Sundays only to get your spiritual food. Get some every day that you can. There are, it's going to feel dry. 
Everyone who reads God's Word goes through times of, I'm not getting much out of this. And usually if it's the start, if it's the first time you're doing it, just like going to gym, uh, you know, if you've gone to gym, you don't look like Bryce on day one or Joey on day one. On, on day one, you're lifting the bar. It's embarrassing. You're lifting very small weights. But eventually, the thing comes towards you. The things that felt harder at first start to get easier, and then you start to, the enjoyment factor grows much more later than it does at the start. That was my experience. I don't gym anymore, but when I did gym, the first three months were shocking, and after that, I thought it was pretty okay. And God's Word can be like that. It, it is dry, especially when we're trying to do it for the first time in ages, and I want to say to you, push through that. There is experience that is going to come to you when you read this regularly. It's going to come alive. It's going to start to light up for you. It's going to start to show you what to do in certain situations when you didn't know what to do before. Some of us are bumping our way through this life in the darkness when God wants to light the way for us. Pay attention to it. He can light your way through the darkness. And the second reason we need to pay attention, and this is Peter's real reason, is we live in a day and age where false teaching is coming out of every nook and cranny. It is everywhere, guys, and it is subtle. It is so easy to fall into it. How are you going to keep yourself strong and steadfast on God's Word when there's counterfeit truth? You have to pay attention to it. We can't show you every counterfeit. That'll take forever. But we can show you the truth so that when you encounter the counterfeit, you know that it's false. And you want to be strong against false teaching. You've got to be strong in paying attention to God's Word. Will you this morning consider obeying the prompting of God to share your faith? Will you consider this morning taking more seriously God's Word in your life and paying attention to it? I hand over to Jack. Thanks, Mark. Um, we're about to head into a bit of a response time. We don't want to rush off and uh, just dive into worship. We just really want to stop and take a moment and just say, what has God been saying to us? Um, so while you're at home, would you mind just bowing your heads and closing your eyes? And while you do that, what is the one thing that has stood out to you this morning that God is saying to you that you, you want to hold on to, that you need to do? How's your relationship uh, with God's Word? Is it, is it dry? Is it weary? How are you doing there? Have you not read it in a while? Is it a bit dusty, that, that Bible of yours? Do you need to dust it off and pick it up and read it again? Do you need to commit to some time? Is it a lamp unto your feet, a light unto your path? Do you have that gnosko um, experience, that knowledge that we've been talking about here? Do you have that Gnosko experience of applying it or, or has this just become an experiential thing for you? In light of the second coming that Peter has been arguing for, what are some of the things that God has been saying to you through his word that you have maybe put off and uh, decided not to do? that you need to be obedient to. Maybe it's someone that God has laid on your heart that you need to
go and share your testimony to your, your experience. And uh, maybe you need to do that. Is there a name that God is laying on your heart? What is it? Lord, we don't want to rush ahead and forget this word that you have laid on our hearts as a church that you are speaking to us about. Oh Lord, I, w- I want to pray for us that you would make us a church that is dependent on you, that you would add a steadfastness uh, into our lives, that we'd commit to your word in all seasons, whether it's good or bad, that we'd be a people that te- feast on your word, that live not on bread alone, but every word that comes from the mouth of God. I pray, Lord, that by the power of your Holy Spirit, that you would show us the wonders of your word, that your word would become a light unto our feet, a lamp unto our path. And Lord, that we would be a people that uh, as we dive into your word, taste it as it's as sweet as honey, as Psalm 119 says. But Lord, would you give us that gnosko knowledge, that experience? Would you help us, we pray, by the power of your Spirit to step out in faith, to be bold, to to go and do what you have called us to do. May we have a testimony that is bright, that that we are able to share, regardless of what the world might think. May we boldly proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ and the effects that it's had on our lives. And Lord, we pray for many to come to know you as a result. May you be praised this morning, Lord. We thank you for your word. We thank you that you have not left us in darkness, but you have given us this word so that we might hold on to you. And so as we go into worship, Lord, would you help us to fix our eyes on you and praise you for you are good, you're glorious, you're great, and we long for you to come again. Strengthen us, we pray. Mobilize us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. scars are a sign of grace in our lives. Father, how you brought us through. When deep were the wounds and dark was the night, the promise of your love you proved. Now every battle still to come, let this be our song. It is well.
Glory, Lord. 
Oh 
desire of our hearts is that we would know You and delight in You, that You would take the rightful place on the throne of our hearts, that You would be glorified in our lives, that our lives would be an offering to You, but Lord, not just for ourselves, but for this world and for the world as well. Lord, that we would be able to be an offering that is a fragrant offering to you that the world be able to smell and see and come to know you and that you'll be glorified that Lord you would use these lives of ours to make your name known in this world that we would be people that witness and glorify the name of Christ with our lives and in our, through our actions and, and in our testimony and through our voices as we speak oh Lord we, we long as we wait for your coming that your kingdom would advance in the meantime Use us, we pray, 
stirring us a desire for you, a deeper love for you. Solidify us, we ask, as we go out into this week, as we dive into your word, may it be fresh and anew for every single one of us. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Church, thank you so much for joining us online. May you be encouraged. May you go out and be a beacon of light for the glory of Christ this week. Just a reminder that we are going to be gathering again um, soon, sometime, but we're going to be keep on meeting online in the interim period until the government give us the go-ahead. Um, and so see you again next week. Be well, stay safe. Love you all. In my life, be lifted up in our world. Be lifted up. Yeah.